thousands of criminal aliens are pouring into our country. They're not people. These are animals. Our country will be overrun. These are just some of the comments by US President Donald Trump about what he sees as the threat immigration poses to his country. Indeed, Trump's tough stance on immigration is widely reputed to be one element to his shock electoral victory in 2016. However, Trump's success off the back of anti-immigrant sentiment is not unique. Around the world, especially amongst more developed countries, we are seeing the flourishing of nationalist parties which reflect anti-immigrant attitudes. But what is causing this newly intensified opposition to immigration? To answer this question, we're talking to Professor John Citizen of ABC University. John, thanks for joining us. And could you tell us about what you see as the key drivers of this phenomenon? Oh, it's my pleasure to be here. Um, well, the first thing to understand is that there is no clear laundry list of drivers to anti-immigrant sentiment and, and the primary causes vary from country to country. Uh, but broadly speaking, I would put the drivers of opposition to immigration into three umbrella groups. Uh, one, concern about the ostensibly negative economic impacts that migrants can have on their host country. Two, a backlash against real or perceived uh, socio-cultural change. Uh, and three, fears about uh, national sovereignty and issues to do with the local population losing control. So things like porous borders, uh, crime or even disease. Uh, and as I'll mention, I think also some of this should be explained with reference to today's increasingly commercialised uh, media landscape. Right. So could you elaborate on that first point about economic arguments against immigration? Yeah, so there are some very intuitive, if misguided, economic explanations for why existing citizens might resist immigration. Perhaps the most widespread idea is that migrants will steal jobs from locals and simultaneously reduce native workers' wages. Uh, and this seems logical. After all, a job taken by an immigrant is one not taken by a local. Um, and if you increase the supply of workers in a labour market, then you decrease the price um, employers are willing to pay for those labourers. Uh, an associated concern is that if migrants are not taking natives' way, natives' uh, jobs, um, then they must be living off natives' taxpayer dollars uh, and burdening the welfare system. Uh, now, in reality, there is actually little evidence uh, for these claims. Many studies show migrants in simultaneously spending the money that they earn uh, can create more demand for jobs and actually raise locals' wages. Uh, and generally, migrants also burden a country's welfare state no more uh, than natives. Um, for one thing, migrants are often not immediately eligible for all the welfare benefits a country has to offer. And for another, people sometimes forget that migrants uh, also pay taxes. Uh, one EU study found that taxation paid by migrants as a whole more than compensated for money spent on them as welfare. Uh, for example, a European expat in Britain typically pays about £80,000 more in taxation over a lifetime than they will receive uh, as welfare. So given that these misconceptions about migrants' negative economic impacts are flawed, do you think that these misconceptions still contribute to anti-immigrant attitudes? 
Well, I think the belief that immigrants exploit the welfare system might. Uh, one study concluded that Europeans living in countries with generous welfare systems uh, compared to thriftier ones uh, were more fearful of immigrants abusing it. But I have less confidence in the idea that people fear losing their jobs to immigrants. Um, an article in the Annual Review for Political Science from a few years ago, uh, which amalgamated much of the literature on this, concluded that this was a zombie theory and that uh, the quote-unquote labour competition hypothesis has repeatedly failed to find empirical support. And I think Australia is also a, a good case study for this because unlike most countries, our points-based immigration system uh, mostly admits higher skilled workers. So in the 2018 financial year, 62% of permanent visas were issued to skilled migrants. Now, if the labour competition hypothesis were true, then we would expect to see skilled workers and higher income groups more likely to support cuts in immigration. Uh, but in fact, the opposite is true, uh, with low skilled workers uh, tending to favour immigration uh, cuts more than high skilled ones. So do you think that these economic issues, often proffered by nationalist politicians as the reason people should oppose immigration, are a fig leaf for deeper socio-cultural factors? Well, that's right. I think economic arguments are sometimes used, are sometimes, you know, a useful, a dog whistle, rather, for politicians and people who don't want to sound xenophobic. Um, certainly, the evidence suggests that it is socio-cultural issues, particularly rapid socio-cultural change brought on by globalisation, uh, that scares people. Uh, so, for instance, in the Brexit referendum, I know, which can partially be seen as a referendum on immigration, um, areas with high numbers of immigrants, think London, uh, were more likely to vote Remain. But for areas where the number of migrants had doubled since 2001, people voted Leave in 94% of cases. Wow. Also tellingly, in Germany, after the European migrant crisis began in 2015, the anti-immigration party Alternative for Deutschland saw their polling numbers shoot up to about 13.5%, uh, allowing them to gain seats in Parliament for the first time. Uh, now, in, in 2020, with the crisis over, uh, those polling numbers have dropped by about 5% across Germany. Um, to me, this suggests that there was a rise in anti-immigrant views when the threat of rapid migration appeared, followed by an abating of those attitudes with a fading of the intensity of migrant movement, even though the migrants that had moved into Europe you know, are still there. So in other words, the rate of change in the number of migrants in Germany was just as, if not more, important than the absolute number at any one time. Right. And so all this is linked to fears about losing control over national sovereignty? Oh, absolutely. Um, Im immigrants are often unfairly linked, uh, I think, with an increase in crime, terrorism you know, or disease. Um, you know, the latter of those has been well demonstrated in the COVID-19 pandemic, uh, where we have witnessed the stigmatisation, particularly of Asian minority groups. Um, Australia is not immune from this. You know, about one third of us blame the Chinese community uh, for, uh, for COVID-19. And perhaps unsurprisingly, both Australian major parties have floated uh, cutting immigration into the future. Why do you think migrants are stereotyped like that? Do migrants actually bring things like crime, say, into a host country? 
No, I mean, there's little factual basis uh, for such concerns. Studies typically show that migrants in developed countries have crime rates the same or less than natives. In fact, a study in Germany concluded that while migrants had uh, increased crime, um, this increase was attributable not to the immigrants, but to right-wing extremist violence, um, likely as a response to that migration. Um, A recent and tragic example of this sort of thing was the Christchurch mosque shootings last year, in which an Australian uh, killed 51 Muslims seemingly for no other reason than Islamophobia. Uh, It seems untenable to lay the blame for the occurrence of that type of crime at the feet of of the migrants. Um, Although having said that, it is worth noting that limited evidence indicates that migrants from terror-prone countries uh, commit more specifically terrorist acts. But migration overall, uh, thanks to migrants generally having a lower crime rate, has been shown to decrease uh, terrorism risk in the host country. Um, despite that, many natives in developed countries, you know, almost a quarter in America, for instance, still think that immigration is linked to crime. I think a reason for that uh, is when foreigners do commit crimes, it is typically focused on and dramatised by the modern 24-hour news media. Uh, We're seeing that right now with the coverage in France about a teacher beheaded by a Muslim refugee for showing Muhammad cartoons. Uh, And this focus on on high-profile cases um, does help explain why, for instance, Australians believe Muslims make up 17% of the population on average uh, when the actual figure is about 3%. Um, In Australia, we, we also saw here a couple of years ago how media outlets can sensationalise issues of immigration uh, with their coverage of Melbourne's supposed African gang crisis. Now, speaking of sensationalism, I'm reminded of some of the Australian media's coverage of the arrival of unauthorised maritime arrivals, or boat people, as they are colloquially known as. Yes, that was a a good example of the media stoking up social anxiety. Uh, The whole boat people issue probably reached a crescendo in April of 2009, uh, when one asylum seeker boat was blown up by those on board in an attempt to avoid being towed away from Australia. Uh, One paper into this event concluded that the media's coverage of the incident uh, was overwhelmingly uh, negative and portrayed the asylum seekers uh, in a negative light. For one thing, most of the media called these refugee hopefuls Uh, illegal arrivals, forgetting that there is nothing illegal about seeking asylum under international law or Australian domestic law. And moreover, you know, rather than using the explosion as an indication of the individual's desperation to get to a uh, safe country, uh, the media typically used it to suggest that those on board were manipulative or dangerous. Um, And we have to remember that, you know, but for media coverage, very, very few Australians would have noticed boats on the horizon or new refugees in the neighbourhood. But thanks to very frequent coverage of the issue, in 2009, 77% of Australians were concerned, or very concerned, about maritime asylum seekers. Um, This is despite the fact that in that year, the 5,000 boat people that arrived in Australia were dwarfed by the more than 170,000 other migrants. Yes, it's interesting, isn't it? Because refugees generally make up a small proportion of immigrants, and yet they seem to dominate a lot of the debate. Why do you think people are so responsive to this sort of uh, fear-mongering? 
Well, I think these sorts of stories also play on humans' natural xenophobia. I wouldn't call this racism as such, but it is well known that humans have a genetic inclination of suspicion towards outgroups, uh, which really makes sense because tribalism was such a big part of the human evolutionary success story. Uh, in fact, it's actually been shown that you know a brief exposure to foreign uh, language-speaking immigrants increases anti-immigrant sentiment. Uh, it's not until that someone has a consistent long-term exposure to another language or culture that they will cease viewing it as a threat. That's interesting. Speaking of tribalism in the media, do you think social media is also playing a role in creating new bubbles of anti-immigrant sentiment? Yes, you're absolutely right. And, and social media's role in allowing fringe groups to form self-validating online forums in which they can share extreme anti-immigrant content uh, should be acknowledged. Um, in fact, you know, I mentioned the Christchurch Mosque incident before. Uh, the shooter is understood there to have you know, formed many of his opinions on 8chan, an online chat forum known for its toxic content. You know, while on that platform, uh, the shooter also disseminated a sort of white supremacist manifesto, uh, which was widely shared and celebrated on the platform, uh, as was the shooting itself subsequently. You know, you have to ask if this man was not able to find this echo chamber of extreme anti-immigrant views, would his views really have been so extreme? And his actions. Yes. In fact, the Germans now have created a neologism for this social phenomenon, which is salonfähig, uh, literally meaning to make acceptable for the salon. It describes this new process of the normalisation of extreme views. We've been speaking to John Citizen from ABC University about what he sees as the main drivers of opposition to immigration. So, John, just to summarise those points you think that while economic fears might cause some resistance to immigration, especially in countries with generous welfare states, you think that the idea of immigrants taking local jobs is probably an overblown theory. And so instead you see the perceived socio-cultural change that migrants bring, especially where there is seen to be rapid migration, as creating a backlash in threatened locals. This is then tied up with concerns of immigrants undermining the sovereignty of a nation's borders or the locals' ability to control what's happening in their country with things such as crime. Yes, that's right. And of course, then there's the input of the modern media in fanning some of those fears. John, it's been fascinating to talk with you. Thanks so much for joining us tonight. It's been my pleasure. Thanks very much for having me.